welcome to another edition of Lit These Days, presented by the Mark Literary Review. I'm Jessica. I'm Adam. And we're your hosts. So we have, obviously, as, as always, we're going to talk about the books that we've finished reading, the books we're currently reading, and then we're going to talk about classic books that uh, we want to read. And then we also have a book recommendation question for comics at the end of it. So yeah. stick around for that. And happy 4th, everyone. It's the 4th for us. It won't be for <laughs> you when this comes out, but happy 4th yes. to all of you. <laughs> You'll be at least two weeks in the in the future, but you could always listen to it next 4th of July. We don't recommend it, but you could. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like this is evergreen content. You can just listen to whenever you want. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's let's talk current politics. <laughs> Keep it <around>. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Maybe let's not, but let's skip that part. Let's just get into the book, shall we? (laughs) So what have you finished reading this week? I I finished reading, uh, I started and finished reading Kitra by Gideon Marcus, which is young adult uh, science fiction. Very good young adult science fiction. So so I came to know Gideon through Galactic Journey, uh, which is a a web project. It's a a Serling award-winning and Hugo-nominated web project. It's really cool because what they do is they, they read through the old science, the writers on, on, on staff read through old science fiction magazines exactly 55 years in the past. So whenever they post something, they post it as if it's the current date 55 years ago. And they'll also post like old, old news articles and kind of commentary on what is, what is going on. It's really, really cool. It's a really cool project. Um, so I, I ended up helping Gideon uh, arrange and edit a book called Rediscovery, Science Fiction by Women, 1958 to 1963, which were short stories that were over overlooked uh, from, from women who broke into science fiction at a time when it was very, very difficult to to do that uh, if you were a woman it's very much a boys club at the time mm-hmm. um and 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 that's that's plagued sci-fi for for a long time but it's very much opening up now and uh, gideon's press small press journey press that's that's kind of their their project they are unusual and diverse science fiction uh, and this one is their first uh first modern release which he wrote so it's his first novel Uh, YA novel that has a tradition in science fiction that I wasn't aware of before reading this book. Um, I tend to think of YA as a modern thing, like the past 15, 20 years when I was a kid, it just didn't exist. Uh, It existed, but it wasn't, it was trash. Um, (laughs) But apparently there, there were like youth novels back in like old, old science fiction. He mentions in the author's note that his um, his his dad uh, had copies of of like young adult fiction at the time, uh, and it was about you know kids, teenagers ex- exploring the exploring the galaxies. So it's it's very much in in a classical con- tradition. It's classical science fiction in that it immerses you in physics and and the technology of the universe that it that it builds. Uh, and, and when I was younger, you you don't read a lot of sci fi, right? Not really. Not too much. Not too much. Yeah, and I don't. I'm I'm getting back into it. I've been trying to get into it the past uh, the past five years, and there's some really great stuff out there. But when I was a kid, I would read like old Asimov stuff or attempt to I'd be like, "This is just way too much description of what's going on." Like, <laughs> I need some I need some characters. I need some 
I need some action. So that turned me off when I was a, a kid, but it's done remarkably well in this book. The the explanations never feel overwhelming. You know exactly what's going on. So I imagine it's perfect for YA readers. Uh, it's intended for YA, but I, I think if you want to get into science fiction um, before diving headfirst into it, this would be a, a, a great introduction to to it. It's also appropriate for middle level as well. So I think I might take my my physical copy and take it to the classroom when we return in in the fall. So yeah, I was just about to ask you if you're going to recommend it to any of your students. Yes, yes, I believe so. For for multiple reasons. Um so I'm going to take it in cuz I also have a digital digital copy of of the book. So this this follows Kitra who has taken her inheritance. She lives on another planet, Earth-like planet, and she's taken her inheritance and she has won at an auction. She's pretty much spent her entire inheritance on it, an old Navy starship, because she wants to explore the universe. She did this when she was a kid with her mom, and, and her mom passed away while exploring, so she wants to do that. All she's been doing, she, she uses a glider, so she knows how to, to pilot, uh, but she's, she hasn't really been out of the galaxy for a long, long time. So she assembles a, a crew of her friends, and they head off into, into space. But the problem with, with doing that is they missed something that was pre-programmed into the ship, like a stopping point. So when they, when they jump into hy hyperspace, and you stay in hyperspace for a long time, uh, and it, it takes you far, far out into the galaxy, um, they weren't expecting to do so. It just jumped automatically into hyperspace. They had no idea where their destination was. And then when they arrived at the destination, drastically low on fuel, um, they're in a system where they don't think there's anybody there. So That's it's, so it's, stressful. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is. There's definitely some intense, intense sequences. There's one in particular where she, it's not it's not a grim book. It's a very positive book for for many reasons. But there is a there is a sequence where she's kind of just has this vision of like, oh, this is going to be us in weeks if we don't <laughs> if we don't figure this out. This is what we'll look like, starved and starved and dead on this starship, and nobody will know where we went. They can't communicate with anyone because they're so so far away. So it's a, it's an adventure story first and foremost. It's a survival story, and it, it's just it's wonderful. Diversity in this book is handled masterly. Uh, the, the crew is, is beautifully diverse, but the book doesn't fall into the trappings of, of some YA that can feel very like, I checked off the diversity box, okay? Mm -hmm. Like, we're, we're good to go. It's very, very natural. Your, your crew is different ethnicities. You have a bisexual main character. You have body-positive portrayals. You have a literal alien who cracks dad jokes all the time, which is really funny. <laughs> it lightens, lightens the mood because it's kind of ever-constant. Uh, and he'll just pop up. He'll just sneak up on the other members of the ship. Um, so I can't emphasize that enough. The diversity of this book is so natural here. And that's what this press really, really celebrates. What's, what's also very natural is it's not, it's not like a Joseph Campbell good versus evil sprawling sci-fi epic. You know, it's not, it's not like a Star Wars space opera. It's literally a, we made a miscalculation. And now we have to, to work together to survive. So it's very refreshing from that, that standpoint. And it's the short length is, is perfect 
for that kind of a story. I don't think this one quite cracks 200, 200 pages. I read it. I read it um, digitally, so I'm not sure. But it's, it's, it's pretty slim volume. It's not a novella, but it's a very, very quick read. It took me a couple sittings to, to read this one. My only gripe would be that the characters aren't fully fleshed out. Mm-hmm. Kitra is because she's, she's the main character. Uh, but she's flying with her, her ex-girlfriend um, and, and a current possible love interest. But there's not much with that. And that's mm-hmm. kind of a fine line. We've talked so many times about the terrible love triangles and rectangles and abusive relationships in YA fiction set against the backdrop of like the apocalypse or a dystopia. Uh, so you don't, I don't want to see that happen, but I would love to see more. Uh, and fortunately, this might be on purpose because it's, it's part of a saga. The second one is, is coming out. I'm, I'm not sure when, but I know he's putting the finishing touches on it right now. So it, it might be a slow burn from, from that standpoint. Certainly okay. not enough to detract from, from really getting into the story and really enjoying it. Um, so hopefully that characterization will continue to get fleshed out. So highly recommended, if, especially if you're hesitant to get into the genre, but you want something new. This one, and we talked about Binti by uh, Nnedi Okorafor from the Afrofuturism episode. Those are stellar and short starting points for this. So Kitra by Gideon Marcus is, is the book that I finished this week. The only book that I finished. That sounds really good. And I think, you know, I, I always say that I don't like sci- sci-fi, but I think that, you know, I read basically all the sci-fi I've, I've ever read was in college. And maybe it was just because those selections weren't great. And then I was like, oh, I don't like sci-fi, but maybe I should just like give something else a chance. And I feel like y- YA, that would be totally different from what I've read yeah. in, in college. So yeah. maybe I will have to pick up that book and, and see what I feel about it. You should. You should definitely pick it up. Do you, do you remember what you read in college sci-fi-wise? I read... um. I, can you classify Kindred by Octavia Butler as sci-fi? I'm pretty sure that's sci-fi. Yeah, I think I think you could. I think you could. Yeah. I didn't like that book too much. I didn't, you know, and I can't remember why exactly I didn't like it because I read it my freshman year, so it's been a while. Uh-huh. I just, I don't know. I also read a short story by Octavia Butler, and it was like, I can't remember what it was called, but it was about, like, this alien who, like, impregnates humans. And, like, the aliens are, like, the overlords of the humans. And uh, I was like, I, you know, I can't get into this. I don't, it's weird. <laughs> kind of gross, yeah. 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 I, I would imagine, too, if you're not, if that's your first foray into science fiction. And, and I say kindred, I think you could classify as sci-fi, but it's definitely not, like, traditional science fiction you know it's not mm-hmm. space exploration or anything like that it's it's time travel um on the planet i would imagine that can be kind of a like whoa <laughs> what is going on here yeah i think you i think you would like parable of the sower which i still haven't finished um because it it gets pretty heavy but i think you'd dig that one um kind of post-apocalyptic i think i think it would mm-hmm. be more your your pace it's great it's a great book yeah, I think, yeah, when you say post-apocalyptic, yeah, that makes sense, because I used to love dystopian fiction. Yeah. I think I think that maybe I read too much dystopian fiction when I was a young adult in that in that time period, and then I kind of burned myself out of it, but I haven't yeah. read it for a long time, so 
maybe if I try, I'll get back into it. Yeah, and I think so too, especially if you've read a lot of dystopian uh, YA. It's very mm-hmm. different from that. It's very, very different from that. Just yeah. be prepared to take breaks because it does get pretty disturbing. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, I've added so many things to my list. Yay. That's exciting. Since we started this podcast, I feel like my my TBR has tripled. <laughs> Mine was already pretty long, and it's got a lot more titles <laughs> on it now. Okay. So let me talk about what I finished reading. So I read God's Behaving Badly by Marie Phillips. Yeah, just double-checking the name. Mm. That's who wrote that. Um, so I started talking about this book last episode, and... Um, Basically, this book is about the Greek gods, like think Aphrodite and Apollo and all of them. And they're living in current times in London. Um, And they live in this dilapidated house. And they aren't as strong as they had been in the past. Um, But they can't figure out why. So they're all like just trying to conserve their energy until they can figure out how to get powerful again. Uh, And it it turns into a hero story, uh, pretty much. So... There are the god as characters, and then there are these people named Alice and Neil that are also main characters along with them. And Neil basically, <clears throat> Neil basically has to go on a quest to save the world. And I won't say more about why he has to go save the world because I feel like it's kind of a spoiler. Um, but I would compare it to the Greek myth of Orpheus and Eurydice. And if you don't know what that myth is about uh orpheus and eurydice were married but eurydice got bit by a snake and she died so she went to the underworld and orpheus was so struck by grief that he went to the underworld to get her back and that's kind of like the subplot of this book like there's a romantic subplot between neil and alice um and but it's not the whole plot of the story uh i would say the bigger plot of the story is that the gods are trying to figure out how to get powerful again and um, I was super invested in the romantic relationship between Neil and Alice. They're both very sweet characters, and you can tell that they're very deeply in love with each other, and it's kind of been like a slow burn for them. Like, they've known each other for years and years, but mm-hmm. they won't admit to each other that they're uh, in love with each other, which, that's like my favorite trope. I love that. <laughs> um, and so... Uh, I actually highlighted a section of dialogue between them so I can go back and like study their relationship for my own writing. Um, so nice. that's how much I loved their their uh, dynamic. Yeah. But anyway, so as I said, the main plot would be that the gods are trying to get their powers back. And let's talk about my star rating for a second. So I would give this book a 3.5 out of 5. I so was specific. I know, I know. <laughs> So I was really loving it in the beginning, and I thought it was super hilarious for the first half. Um, But then it really took a turn in the middle, and it got like, it got like content warningy, as I would say. Um, So there is a content warning for rape in this book. There isn't a rape that actually happens, but it is discussed uh, Hmm. in in a section, and that it bothered me. So. If it would bother you, listeners, I would say to skip it. Um, but I think that the pacing of the story was good, and I thought that it was well-written. I enjoyed that the, the characters were still so distinct, and you could tell the author did her research on the gods. Like, Apollo, 
He's a god of the sun. Uh, he was very arrogant, and he was also a TV psychic, which I thought was hilarious because <laughs> he is the god of the sun, but he is also the god of future telling, um, yeah. which I actually didn't know, and I love Greek mythology. I um, had no idea, yeah. Yeah, so that fit with him. And then Artemis is the goddess of the moon, hunting, and chastity, and she had to stick up her butt the whole time, basically, <laughs> so I thought that fit with her. And then Athena is the goddess of wisdom, and she was very smart, but no one could understand what she was saying because she was using such stilted language. Um, so, And then I just want to mention that Aphrodite was also a phone sex operator, which I thought was freaking hilarious. Um, so I, it was a four-star book for me up until the middle where that content warning came in. Uh, so I did take it down to 3.5 stars after that because I I mean, it was necessary to the story. Like, that's kind of what kicked off the uh, the kind of climax, you mm-hmm. know, what was, what was happening there. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was just brought up in such a crass manner that it really it bothered me. So I would give it a 3.5. Um, but I did think it was a funny book. So if that's what you're looking for and you don't mind the content warning, I would say go for it. It seems like it's such a tonal shift to mm-hmm. to that middle section of the book. Maybe that's what maybe that's what does it is it's just like it's necessary, but you know, you go from very, very humorous to that. Yeah, it was definitely out of the blue. And yeah. uh yeah. I don't know, it bothered me a lot. I don't yeah. know. But I kept I kept reading it, so Yeah. I would have I would have thought based on your initial descriptions of the book that that would very much stick throughout the entire entire book like well it's, yeah it's... i would say like the back half of it gets funny and like ironic mm-hmm. it, um it's just like that middle part it's yeah. it's, o- it's only like a few pages but it really just i don't know i don't know why that it had to be that yeah. that was the climax of it i don't yeah. know huh interesting so kind of recommended yeah yeah, yeah. If, the, if the content warning isn't going to bother you then i would say go for it yeah that's I, that's so cool too that you you highlighted like dialogue to use in your own writing. That's such a mark of of good writing. Mm-hmm. So excellent. Did you? And that is the that's the only book that you read as well this week, right? Yeah, that's the only one I finished. I finished gotcha. it yesterday actually when I was out by the pool relaxing. Nice, nice. happy summer. <laughs> I uh, finished volume one of War and Peace. <laughs> oh, nice. How many pages is that? Yes. How many pages is that? Uh, it is three. I, I forget exactly when because we read beyond that. So we're about 27% of the way through the book, which is three, 350 something. Oh, 350 wow. odd pages. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'll tell you what, though. Again, like it's it's been a quick read. Like I look and see how much I've read. And I'm like, that doesn't seem possible in you know, a, a two week time frame, mm-hmm. But again, it's that, that translation, man, is just, it's such a smooth translation. It's funny. Um, it's, it's tremendously readable. Um, so we're very heavy into the descriptions of war. Yeah. Uh, and they're, they're good. They're very, very solid. They're disturbing. Um, some of the stuff is, is presented. There's a lot of humor that goes into like, even when the, 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 story is progressing in a violent manner there's a Mm -hmm. lot of humor to to break that up um 
especially because the <laughs> the Russian army just blames absolutely everyone else when they like like they they and this actually happened, but like they're in fighting, they're fighting with the Austrians who are on their side. Um, oh my gosh! Yeah, and like they they keep moving the lines <laughs> of 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 soldiers so that they don't realize that like Napoleon has caught on and is now mm -hmm. in the middle of the pack and is just oh like going to just decimate the middle of their the middle of the army. Uh, and of course, it just becomes like a, oh those Austrians we never should have trusted them, but the Russians we had honor. It was great. And you can tell <laughs> it's it's very it's very much being pointed out what's what's going on there. Um, there's a lot of it, the, the characterization, the character studies in the book are fascinating. Um, especially because a lot of the characters, like you, you don't really root for them. Like they, they do some terrible things or they just let things happen, but they're so interesting that, that study of that, um, especially like the, one of the main characters, Pierre, like he inherits this fortune. He kind of gets wheedled into it, but he just lets that happen. He lets somebody else do that for him. He doesn't really care. He gets married uh, for the <laughs> for the same reasons. Like he just all of a sudden ends up married because he just won't like say no to things. He doesn't oh really gosh. say yes to things either. He's just kind of like, oh, okay. Wishy-washy. Sure, exactly, exactly. So there's a lot of like repression that goes into that as well because like he, he snaps at, one, at a couple points. Um there's a duel there's a duel he oh, ends up in a duels. duel because of this because he snaps at like a dinner party there's like a full chapter of this expansive dinner party and then he snaps at the at the end of it challenges somebody to a duel and then the duel's like two or three pages long but the duel is excellent it's really intense um really really engaging and again it's surprisingly not heavy on the philosophy which I would have expected a little bit more, but I, you know, I guess I didn't know too much about Tolstoy, and I was just basing this mm -hmm. off my impressions of Dostoevsky. Like it's there, but it's it's very briefly touched upon. So again, it's it's tremendously readable. Short chapters, which form parts and then volumes. So it's it's kind of a it would be a great book to keep by like the bedside. You could easily read a couple chapters a night and then be done, you know, six years later. It's great. It's good. You know, Check when you said that you were reading War and Peace, I definitely didn't uh, expect it to be a nightstand book. That's not what I, that's definitely not yeah. what I thought was going to happen. I, I didn't either. Because again, like we, <laughs> sometimes we pick these things just to be obnoxious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it was Blood Meridian and then it was Moby Dick and, and, and we're reading this one now. But uh, it's it's great i can very much see myself reading this one again now we'll oh, see wow. how the the remainder of the book plays out there's a lot to go but yeah. yeah it's it's superb it's superb and you said that you were reading it with your friend but he had gotten a different translation while he was waiting for your translation to come in so yes who wrote your translation briggs anthony briggs okay yeah. So and listeners, his, if you're interested in reading it, pick up that translation. Yes. Unfortunately, it's and weirdly, it's not available digitally, um, but it's I, I really like having the physical copy because just being able to see like, wow, I read a chunk of this, mm -hmm. um, I think is I think is very helpful. But definitely go with the Anthony Briggs translation uh, from from what I gather from what he told me. It's it's a lot more readable uh, than than other previous translations. So definitely check it out. And then my book finally arrived. My, oh, my, your gaming book? Yeah, my other tome of a book. <laughs> it's just, I'm just reading two giant books right now. 
a guide to Japanese role-playing games from Bitmap Books. Uh, and I ordered this from England, and it arrived five days later. So suck it, U.S. Postal Service. That's crazy to me. <laughs> yeah. And I, I went back and I was like, did I pay a lot for for shipping here? It was like 10 pounds, which I don't know what that translates to, 12 mm. to 15 bucks. But to get it five days later... Um, packaged tremendously nicely, very, very protected. It's like they just threw it into a portal and it showed up at my house. It was great. So I will definitely buy more from them. Um, do you do you play video games? You know, here are the video games that I play. Um, Animal Crossing. Oh, I love oh, Animal Crossing. Love Animal Crossing. Oh, my, yeah. my boyfriend makes fun of me all the time. I <laughs> when I, So it came out on the Nintendo Switch, like, what, March of 2020? I bought a Switch like in January because I knew it was coming out and I knew I wasn't going to be able to get a Switch when Animal Crossing came out. Oh, yeah. And then good good timing. Yeah. And then I downloaded it like as soon as midnight hit and I was like, okay, here we go. We're going to play it. And that was great. Um, What other games do I play? I used to play a lot of Candy Crush until I took it off of my phone uh, because that's a that's big time suck. (laughs) <laughs> and uh i tried playing apex legends one time and i'm very bad at it and i didn't like it and it was very stressful so i don't play that anymore that's a big transition away from uh from animal crossing <laughs> and candy crush yeah yeah oh i didn't know you played that. that's great i'll just get your friend code for for the switch my yes. wife is still playing animal crossing but i've i'm i'm done with it like i've done especially since we played together on the same island like mm-hmm. we've done all that we can do but she's she's still putting putting a lot of time into it i think i did 130 hours maybe and then i was like good to go i built my arcade in the basement so i'm fine yeah i haven't um i haven't checked on my island in a while but yeah i i was playing it at my parents house because i was living with my parents when covid happened because i uh i was finishing up college and everyone got kicked off campus yeah. And I was playing it, like, I hooked it up to the TV in the living room, and I was just, like, fishing, you know, like, ca- <laughs> yeah. collecting fruit, like, that's what you do. And my mom was like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm playing this game, Mom. And she, <laughs> and she was like, don't you get bored? I was like, no, this is fun. I love this. Yeah. It's a chore simulator. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. You know, in the, in, the old, in the old Animal Crossing, if you didn't log in fairly regularly, your residents would move. <laughs> and oh you gosh, would just... Really? Yeah, you just have a letter in your mailbox that was like, well, I guess we don't see each other anymore. Bye. <laughs> That's so weird. Yeah. Oh, it's cruel. They did a lot of cruel things in the in the first Animal Crossing. <laughs> but anyway, off topic, slightly off topic, because I feel like the, the, the games that are in this one, um, they're very grind heavy, which is like you're just you're just attacking the same things over and over again to build points. I loved these games when I was a kid because, again, it's it's a lot of reading. And if you don't want the challenge, you can just grind and grind and grind and grind. Then you're overpowered. Then you can complete the story pretty quickly, mm-hmm. which is typically how I how I play it. So it it runs the gamut between. It's a big coffee table book, but it runs between like the earliest personal computers to like the PlayStation Four, um, which is kind of how I'm I'm playing games right now. Like I'm playing Dragon Quest Builders Two. You you might like that one too because it's it's kind of like Animal Crossing. It's a crafting game. Okay. Uh, and Fantasy Star, which is from the from the eighties, from the first, uh, not the first, but one of the first Sega systems that that came out. Um, so, I, I I'll note one thing so I don't bore listeners who who maybe don't play video games. Uh, but th- this one's kind of funny. 
there's essays at the beginning that talk about various things like soundtracks and and just like the most important games the staples but also localization so translation from japanese into into english and i didn't know this but for the earliest games they used uh, the japanese games typically used kanji um which is which is easier for japanese people to read and it's blended in with chinese and you could only because space was so limited on these games you could only write a certain amount of things so they abbreviated mm -hmm. a lot and then once it was translated to english a lot of games just didn't get translated because like you, they didn't have the space to add all of the words that they needed to add in so for example in like in pokemon in the first pokemon if you open the menu and select pokemon it just says like pkmn because mm -hmm. they couldn't fit, they couldn't add any more space to the to the ROM file, which which is what runs the game. Um, so you would end up with these weird abbreviations. So I'm playing Fantasy Star right now, and if you open a menu on the Switch, it'll tell you what everything means. But the original game didn't. So I, I can't imagine playing this game and trying to figure out why you just bought something called the Tit Sword. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, like yeah, you know it's a good sword because it's like the price is higher than everything else, but it just says Tit Sword, and no one ever explains what it is. Also, it's a it's very like forward thinking for the time. It's it's a very um, uh, it's a it's a female protagonist that that you play as. It's not yeah. a damsel in distress game. But you're you're equipping her with the tit sword, which is, is it short for something? Yeah, it's short for titanium sword. Oh my god! <laughs> and again, I had the menu because I was like, "What the hell's the tit sword?" <laughs> and that's why it's because they didn't have the space to add on to it, so they just abbreviated it tit sword. I'm like that's great, so funny. Good on you, Sega. That was a good idea. So, so yeah. there's some fun tidbits in there. To, of explanations <laughs> you but said the it. book is 10 pounds uh i don't know the exact poundage but it's gotta be it's 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 lofty it's very heavy it's glossy pages so it's it's a tome it's a tome it's about 600 pages long i'm 60 pages in coffee coffee table book very much coffee table book hard to read in bed because it just <laughs> yeah <laughs> fall asleep and then it just drops on your face it hurts <laughs> oh my gosh i always do that with my phone when i'm reading yeah. yeah, I just drop it right on my face. I was, whenever I read Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, I was super enthralled and didn't want to stop reading, but I knew I was going to fall asleep because I was tired. So I, I, I was laying on my stomach and I remember I fell asleep with my face just right in the middle of the book. Did you drool all over it? Oh yeah, it was gross. I had to get rid of the book later. <laughs> oh no. It was worth it though. It's a great read. I've never read that book actually. I've never read the other ones, but that... It's a it's a fun book. It's a book that it, he died before they were ever released. He just had the manuscripts. Oh. Yeah, Stieg Larsson. It's definitely worth a read. Adding another book to my TBR. Here we go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So that's all I've been currently. Yeah, I I don't have anything that I'm currently reading. Well, I do have something that I'm currently reading. I started The Dating Plan by Sarah Desai, and I hope I I'm saying her last name right. Um. But I'm like two chapters in, so hmm. we'll we'll leave it for next episode because I don't know what's going on yet. <laughs> yeah. There's a main character and some side characters. Yes, that's all we know. So yeah, I think we can go into the classics that we want to read. I have two. And the first one is a book I've had on my bookshelves for, I don't know, like three, four years at this point, but I haven't read it yet. No, actually, it's only been two years. Well, yeah, it's only been two years. But 
it's Tess of the D'Ubervilles. And I don't know anything about what it's about, really. I just heard that it for a classic, it's a good classic. Like, it's not boring. In my head, most classics, they're pretty boring. I don't know. Sorry, listeners, if you disagree with me. But, um, so I looked up the little, like, synopsis of it. Um, it says, The ne'er-do-well sire of a starving brood suddenly discovers a family connection to the aristocracy, and his selfish scheme to capitalize on their wealth sets a fateful plot in motion. Jack Der- Derbyfield dispatches his gentle daughter Tess to the home of their noble kin, anticipating a lucrative match between the lovely girl and a titled cousin. Innocent Tess finds the path of the Duberville estate paved with ruin in this gripping tale of the inevitability Inevitability of fate and the tragic nature of existence. Have you read this one before, Adam? I have not. The... I know a little bit about it, but I remember in, in college, I had a friend who read it in high school, and he was like, it's the worst book I've ever read. Every oh, bad really? thing that could happen happens to this person. He's not a good judge of books, though, because he doesn't read. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. It was also basing that this was like freshman year, so he's basing this off of, you know, high school reading. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it definitely is a, a depressing read. It's an important read because it does definitely challenge some social conventions. You know, you had a lot of uh, tales of... Um, <laughs> women do bad things and then die don't do bad things women and it very much is not that book which was not ordinary for the time which is cool so i think you'll really like it from that perspective yeah that's kind of the reason why i picked it up because i heard that it was more of a feminist classic yeah yeah so yeah that's why i bought that two years ago and have read it I just, I want to go through my bookshelves and I'm not into my um, actual apartment yet where they're waiting on a cabinet. Okay. So like backstory, I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast yet, but we moved to Minneapolis and we were supposed to move into a two bedroom apartment and there was a flood. And so they're like, okay, we'll put you in a studio until we can fix it. And we're like, okay, sounds good. We thought we'd be there for like two weeks. We've been (laughs) in Minneapolis now for three weeks. And it is not fixed yet. And they they redid the floors, but they're like, okay, all we have to do is put these lower cabinets in. And we're like, okay, great. That'll take you like, what, a day? And they're like, no, the cabinets won't come in until July 24th. Oh, my God. And it is July 4th. And I'm like, all right, well, we'll make it work. <laughs> it's okay. I, I mean, you're moving. Your stuff's going to be in boxes for a long time. Like, that's typically how it happens. Do you need those cabinets for... <laughs> That's what I was saying. I was like, okay. So I asked the lady, I was like, can we, can we just move in and you guys can do the cabinets later? Like we have upper cabinets. It's fine. And they're like, no, we can't make it livable for you right now. And I was like, okay. <laughs> All right. All of the oxygen is contained in the new cabinets. Still yeah. die if you move yeah. <laughs> no, they said that like they can't hook up the, the, um, appliances. And I was like, hey, you can just kind of stick it in the wall and then it's on, right? <laughs> yeah, it's usually how appliances work. I don't know. I mean, certainly you could just plug in a microwave. That, yeah, that'd be fine for a couple of weeks. Yeah, I think so. But anyway, so that tangent was because I want to put out my books on my bookshelves, but I can't do that yet. But I just want to count like how many books I have that I haven't read. <laughs> That's a good challenge for next week. We should both do that. 
Well, once I get my um, bookshelf situation. Oh, yeah. Not next week. (laughs) Not next week at all. Next month, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. You should, after you read Tessa Duberville's, you should give uh, The Coquette and the Power of Sympathy. And I don't remember the the authors. It doesn't matter. Uh, Which are the first two books published in America. And they are the complete opposite. Um, The first first two books ever published in America? First two novels published in America. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever see Mean Girls? Do I know Mean Girls? Yeah. I saw that many a time. You know that part? I'll probably misquote this, but you know the part where they're like, if you, the teacher's like, if you have sex, you will get chlamydia and die. Yeah. (laughs) That's basically like the moral of these stories. (laughs) Like, oh my gosh. So, like, from a, if things were published today, you'd be outraged. But from a historical standpoint, especially to contrast it with with the more forward thinking novels that came later, uh, it's an interesting study. Um, And and they weren't, they're very short. So it's not, it's not too much of a time commitment. So I just looked it up. The Coquette is by Hannah Webster Foster. And what's the other one that you said? The Power of Sympathy. The Power of Sympathy. My copies were were printed together in a Penguin edition. So this is by The Power of Sympathy is by four different people. Hannah Webster Foster, Sarah Wentworth Apthorpe. Morton. Oh, maybe that's one person. She just has a very long name. And William Hill Brown. That's who wrote it. William Hill. They are typically bound together. The oh, cocaine okay. power sympathy. So, so the other author's probably the introduction to it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So don't, <clears throat> definitely worth a read. All right. So do you have other classics you want to go over? Or do you want to switch back and forth? Um, I'll talk about my other one. So okay. my other one is The Great Gatsby. Who wrote that? I, why am I blanking? I should know Fitzgerald, that. Fitzgerald. F. Scott yeah. Fitzgerald. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was assigned that book in uh, my sophomore year of of high school. Uh, but I was taking like a ton of AP classes at the time. And I was like, you know what? I'm burnt out. I'm not going to read this. So I just <laughs> never read it. This is what I know about it. There's a guy named Nick and a girl named Daisy. And there's a party. And I think somebody dies. Right? I think that's yeah. all I know about yeah. that. And That's there's a lot know. about the American dream. Yes. Which is not a real thing. A lot of hit you over the head symbolism uh, with that book. Yeah, Gatsby's, Gatsby's interesting. I did not like Great Gatsby, and, and I read it not too long ago. Um, I think it's definitely worth worth a read, though. It was not popular um, at the time. It did not sell very well. Uh, he died not knowing the popularity that would, that would occur. Um, but it was given out to servicemen during during the war, so that kind of like very much popularized it. And then you know it ends up in in high school classrooms. So I'll be interested to see your your take mm-hmm. on it. It's too bad it wasn't in the public domain when you were in high school, like it is now, because there's a million like graphic novel versions of it. Oh yeah, I heard about that because I was listening to um, this other podcast, Books Unbound, which I've talked about before. But the one. Um, co-host Raylene she loves The Great Gatsby like that's her favorite novel and she was talking about how she got graphic novels of it so maybe I'll do that yeah you could uh, my wife read one because uh, th- I'm pretty sure that they had to have been written and just waiting for the day that it switches into the public domain because it was like available immediately and she did not like it 
Um, oh, okay. But they're coming out of the woodwork because I was in the comic book store the other day, and there's there's a new Great Gatsby series that's coming out. So it's like, yeah, there's going to be a million different versions of it that come out. So it's a series and not just one book? It'll eventually, it'll be a mini series. Okay. Um, so they'll print it in single issues, and then I'm sure it will just bound it into a single graphic novel. Um, but there is a standalone graphic novel that's out so far. Um, I would go with the actual actual book, though. But okay. Now that you're why, why didn't your wife like the graphic novel? The artwork didn't really add up to it. Um, and it is a book that's so symbolism heavy, which which you think lends itself well to a, to a graphic novel. But my experience with um, novelizations into the graphic medium is they're not great. A lot of times they're not they're not told by people who are who are comics writers. Um, so they're not laid out very well. So I, I think it's just kind of amateurish is, is what it came off as. That and, okay. that and Orwell had a bunch of stuff that went into the public domain. So there's an animal there's an animal farm uh, video game now that came out like immediately. Oh, my gosh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, why the hell is this a video game? Oh, it's public domain now. Did you play it? No, I did not. I want to. I'll try it at some point. It's pretty cheap. So, but. See, I read Animal Farm when I was a freshman in high school. And my English class, I don't, it was pretty much just a history class at that mm. point. And it, uh, they're all like, this is what communism is and all this stuff. And I was like, I don't really care, to be honest yeah. with you. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't like that book. I remember reading it and was like, yeah, that's fine. I, I get it. I get it, Orwell. <laughs> yeah. I like this. Um, I like this discussion topic because we've talked about classic before. But I feel like when we talked about it before, we talked about like, eh, here's stuff we maybe should have read, but we probably won't. So these are the mm -hmm. stuff that we, we do want to read. So classics I want to read. Um, I have two. Three technically, but we'll get to it. Lady Chatterley's Lover by D.H. Lawrence. Um, and you'll there's three reasons why this is perf a perfect book for me, which I'll get into in a second. But let me go ahead and read the steamy description to this, to this novel, this 1930s novel. Constance, the young Lady Chatterley, is married to a handsome, well-built man. Clifford, her husband, was wounded in the war and is paralyzed from the waist down. His physical limitations lead him to emotionally neglect Constance, and for comfort she turns to the gamekeeper, Oliver. In his arms she finds the passion she needs, even as she struggles with the class differences between the intellectuals and the working class. She realizes that she cannot, with the mind alone, she realizes that she cannot with the mind alone, but that she also needs her body to be alive. That's a that was an incorrectly written sentence. So sorry about that last one. <laughs> I love that he is described as well built. That was well my built part. man, <laughs> paralyzed from the waist down. So allow me to make it entirely clear why I want to read this this one. It connects to um, all kinds of things that I appreciate in literature. One, sex. This book is immediately banned in the US and Britain, uh, which is where it originates upon publication. I think it was published in Italy, but D.H. Lawrence is a, is a British author. Two, along with Fanny Hill and one other book, this was a crucial work in damaging the US obscenity laws in the late 1950s, 1959, um, is was when this went to trial. That other book is Traffic of Cancer by Henry Miller. So there's, there's three books there. Uh, and three, this book was published in 1932. It was inspired by Lawrence's reading of another writer's unpublished manuscript concerning a gay couple in Britain. 
That book was eventually published in 1971, a year after its author passed away. Who is that author, Jess? Who do you think that author is? Uh, oh, gosh. I have no guesses. E.M. Forrester. It's E.M. Forrester. Oh, yeah. Yeah, E.M. Forrester. Okay, that makes sense. So there you go. It's got it's got sex. It's got a connection to Henry Miller. And it's got a connection to E.M. Forrester. So I have to read it. I absolutely have to read it. It's got a trifecta there for, for me. Also, we had, a, we had a, a drama teacher, drama slash English teacher at my old school who somehow was able to teach this. <laughs> oh, my gosh. To his students. Yeah. Yeah. And it's explicit. It's an explicit book. I remember, he, I think I walked in on a lecture one time and he was like, man, this book, so many dog-eared pages when I was younger. <laughs> oh, my I guess it's closer. God. Yeah. I was like, well, you're close to retirement. I suppose you just don't care. He very much did did not care. So that's another reason why I want to uh, want to check it out. And I have a nice copy on my bookshelf upstairs I haven't gotten to. That is crazy to me. Like, also, like, going, I know I've talked about this book before, but, like, Brave New World, there's, like, explicit sex stuff in there. And I'm like, I was assigned this when I was a sophomore in high school. I was 14, 15 years old. <laughs> How... How are they allowed to teach this? I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't know. I guess the kids just don't read it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Yeah, yeah. So Lady Chatterley's Lover, I'm going to check out very soon, probably this summer. And I want to finish the African trilogy uh, by Chinua Achebe. Um, Things Fall Apart is the first one. Have you read mm -hmm. Things Fall Apart? I haven't, but I want to. It's great. It's great. Now it's been it's been about a decade since I've read it, um, but it's it's wonderful. It's an intense exploration of like the tragedy of of colonization, mm -hmm. uh, and it and it it it's set in this fictional Nigerian village, and one of like the main like warrior for for the for the village um, commits that he accidentally kills kills somebody. Um, and for that, he is banished for a while from the village. And, and upon, I'm going to simplify this as much as possible because there's a lot to it. But upon his return, the the white missionaries have come to come to the village. Um, and a attitudes within the village have changed as well. But he's still very much the same person. So it's that it's that clash between these two cultures. Um, very tragic book. Very very tragic book. Um, but I never, I never read the remaining two. I got them on, I got the whole trilogy on Kindle not too long ago. It was on sale. Um, so the remaining books, no longer at ease, which follows the guy's grandson, um, who I believe is, he's in England. He goes to college in England and and comes back. So it it becomes very much a class struggle in Africa. Um, and then Arrow of God is the last one. I have no idea what that one's about. So I should, I should read these soon. That trilogy is written by Achebe, like all yeah. three of those books. Yeah, See, I've never, I never knew that it was a trilogy. I thought it was just one book. Um, it's you probably didn't, and I didn't for a long time either. And I had one of these books when I was younger. I don't have it anymore because they're not. You can read them out of order. Okay. They're not. They're very loose. I I don't know how the last one is connected, uh, and it might just be connected by theme. <clears throat> But the second one, again, is the guy's grandson, but it's, you know, it's written in a different time period, so it very much stands, stands alone. Um, but I, th I, think, I think those themes of, of colonization and, and cultural change um, 
are very strong with those books. So that's probably why they're grouped together. I'll let you know when I finish. Maybe I'll, I'm sure I'll have a better understanding of it. Yeah, that's definitely something that I want to read. It also reminds me of this other book that I read in college. And I let me look it up real quick because I want to make sure that I get this right. Okay, so have you ever heard of this book called Orinoco by Opera Ben? No. So I read it when I was in college, and it's actually the first novel that was ever written. So it's, oh. um, it came out in 1688. Um, and it's, it's, if I remember right, I can't, God, it's been so long since I read it, but Opera Ben is a female writer, which I thought was, I mean, the first novel that's ever been, that this is what my my professor told me. So if it's wrong, then, then I blame my professor. <laughs> but she said that it was the first novel that was ever written. It's also written by a female, which I, that that's crazy to me that, I mean, like, it, it's such a, it was such a male-dominated field, right. I guess, like, at right. that time. So I thought that was really cool. Um, but Orinoco is... Oh, it's described as one of the first novels in English. So maybe it's not the first novel ever, but in English. Um, so it's called Orinoco or the Royal Slave. And it is a... I'll read what Wikipedia says. It's a relatively short novel set in a narrative frame. The narrator opens with an account of the colony of Suriname and its inhabitants. Within this is a historical tale concerning the... Coromantian grandson of an African king, Prince Orinoco. At a very young age, Prince Orinoco was trained for battle and became an expert captain by the age of 17. During a battle, the best general sacrifices himself for the prince by taking an arrow for him. In sight of this event, the prince takes the place of the general. Orinoco decides to honorably visit the daughter of the deceased general to offer the trophies of her father's victories, but he immediately falls in love with Imolinda? And later asks for her hand in marriage. Um, well, this gets very long. I what I remember it being was like it had the romantic subplot in in it, mm -hmm. but what I remember it being was like um, a social commentary on uh, colonization. So I think that that kind of fits with what you were talking about before. Yeah. I have to check that one out now because uh, mm -hmm. I, I very much in. I very much enjoy reading like the firsts of things or early versions of things. And, that, and that's part of the reason why I like reading the coquette and the power of sympathy so much content, you know, be damned, but you know, first two, first two novels in America mm -hmm. is pretty fascinating. And, and then the first African-American novel uh, is called Blake or Blake or the huts of America, which is another very fascinating read. I should return to at some point. So I got to add that one to my list for sure. Yeah. Yeah, maybe this podcast is a bad idea for us because now we just have so many other, <laughs> other books to read. It's true. I'm reading a lot, but there is no way I'm going <laughs> to get through all of them. <laughs> That's okay. That's part of being a reader. You're never yeah. going to read all the books. Did you have any other classics that you want to read? No, I'm sure there's more, but um, given our next section, I want to keep it limited. Yeah. Okay, so we had someone ask for a recommendation on comics to read. And this is Adam's wheelhouse. But first, mm -hmm. if you want us to recommend you a book, just email me at themarkliteraryreview at gmail.com or send me a DM on Twitter at literarymark and uh, just tell us 
what you're looking for. I don't know. Maybe it's a, a certain genre. Maybe you read a book that you really liked and you want something similar to that. Let us know and we'll recommend you something. But for comics, I have nothing because I don't really read comics. So I'll let you take it over, Adam. Sure, sure. So I, I tempered myself a little bit with this because I wasn't sure how to... <laughs> I looked through my Goodreads and I was like, oh, I've read 250 graphic novels. Oh <laughs> like, my gosh. I have thousands of single issue comics in, in storage. Um, so I, I want to I wanna limit this as much as possible. So what I did is, is I broke it down to, and I'll keep it brief for the most part with these titles, five essential reads. So these would be maybe you want to get into comics you don't know where to start or you don't really take comics seriously um these would be things that would show you what comics can be groundbreaking Mm -hmm. Uh, either groundbreaking works that are very relevant very good or explanations of the craft itself Uh, i also include five favorite standalones so things you could buy in a graphic novel and and you don't have to commit to a to a series um my favorite current running series on the market, and then and then five favorite big hitters. So I, I broke it down into fives, but I'm going to keep them as brief as possible. But feel okay. free to jump in and ask questions about each of them, because I think there's a couple in here that you're going to want to read. Okay. Uh, and then I include the artist. I include the author on everything, but I include the artist if they're consistent throughout the throughout the series. Um, otherwise, I just list the author, and then sometimes the author is the illustrator. So it's just just one one name there, and I think that's fine for our purposes. So, if you need convincing as to why comics are a valuable art form, these first five would be where to go. And the first one is called Understanding Comics, The Invisible Art by Scott McCloud. Now, some of these books I haven't read for a long time, so I'll, I'll include the little written description here. And this is one of them. So praised throughout the cartoon industry by such luminaries as Art Spiegelman, Matt Groening, Will Eisner, Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics is a seminal examination of comics art, its rich history, surprising technical components, and major cultural significance significance explore the secret world between the panels through the lines and within the hidden symbols of a powerful but misunderstood art form so it's black and white illustrations very cartoony although he does blend in like examples of other people's works and and pictures like photographs and he narrates it himself so he he he's standing there and he walks you through comics history from hieroglyphics till now fascinating read um, and, and it's very much show gives you a better understanding of why the words and the pictures need to go together. Why this? Why some of these stories can't just be told in prose form? And then, a uh, particular recommendation to you, Jess, the Sandman series by Neil okay. Gaiman. This is perfect for you to read to get into comics if you want to get into comics. Um, so New York Times bestselling author Neil Gaiman's transcendent series Sandman is often hailed as the definitive Vertigo title. Vertigo is kind of more independent DC stuff under the DC label. One of the finest achievements in graphic storytelling, Gaiman created an unforgettable tale of the forces that exist beyond life and death by weaving ancient mythology, folklore, and fairy tales with his own distinct narrative vision. Also, it's long. It is a long series. I've not read everything in Sandman. It's one of those reads that is so 
Like you can feel your mind, your imagination expanding while you're reading it. It's so good. Um, and he weaves in so much mythology and literature, including Shakespeare. There's there's an oh. issue or two on Midsummer Night's Dream and like the inspiration, by, the mythical inspiration behind it. Now it's fictionalized, but he'll pull in like Shakespearean lore along with myths. Um, the main character of the series is Morpheus, the, the god of sleep, and his mm-hmm. sister is death. Um, so it's it's got a lot going for it from that standpoint. It even has, it, it's self-referential um, in that it, it references its own namesake. So this wasn't the first Sandman series. Sandman was a superhero type comic that DC put out a long, long, long time ago. And he pulls that character in as like a side character and, and, and shows how it intersects. It's fascinating. My favorite of the series is called The Dream Country. Um, so you can get that as a single volume. And it's it's uh, it follows a woman who has suddenly able to break through the dream landscape into okay. other people's dreams. And he has to stop her because essentially it, it'll end up like destroying the world if she breaks through everybody's dreams and knocks down the walls of the dream world fascinating very very good. i'm i'm looking it up on amazon right now because that sounds amazing so it's by neil gaiman yeah. are the you said that they're like different um books throughout it like i can you get them all in one in one book no because it's huge it's um i think it's well over 100 issues yeah i just saw it so <laughs> the sandman box set on amazon i I probably wouldn't order it through Amazon, but just to look it up real quick, to rent it, it is $125. Yeah, it's massive. It's huge. <laughs> was What was the one that you said that you liked the best? The Dream Country. The Dream um, Country? You can kind of read some of them out of order, but I wouldn't skip the first one. I would definitely read the first one. Okay. And I would read the newest edition of the first one um, because it's been recolored um like my wife read it not too long ago and she didn't she didn't love it but it was before the recoloring came out and it was kind of washed and hard to follow because of that but the colors really pop with the new version so definitely check out sandman um batman the dark knight returns it's my next recommendation by frank miller and claus jansen and lynn varley are the artists now i know and i can i can hear people turning their volume down right now or skipping ahead <laughs> don't don't skip ahead i know it's a superhero story but but listen indisputably it's one of the most important comics that's ever been written um and it it elevated comics in a darker direction that you hadn't really seen before i mean you had seen it here and there um, but in the mainstream, this really, really took it to the next level. And it's it's set in the future. Batman has retired for 10 years. Um, and Gotham is, of course, just in disarray. Like the, the bad guys that were there before are 10 times more psychotic than they were the first time. It's overrun by these new gangs that have popped up. So he decides to come back and fight back. Um, it's very notable from for the fact that there's a new Robin. There's a female Robin, Carrie Kelly, um, and she's a great she's a great version of version of the character. And it also blends in just the idea of like like Superman's working for the government, and mm-hmm. towards the, towards the end of the or the second half, last last fourth of the book, uh, the president President Reagan, I believe, there's a lot of political commentary for the time period as well. It's like sends him in to stop 
Batman. Um, there's, you know, Cold Wars blended in there. It's really a phenomenal, phenomenal read. And it's good from the standpoint of like, if you don't know comics, everybody knows Batman, everybody knows Superman, everybody knows the Joker. That's really the only characters you need to worry about with this one. Everything else will will is is standalone and can be told by itself. It's great. Um, and then and then to to bookend that Watchmen uh, by Alan Moore and, and Dave Gibbons. I'm sure you've probably heard of Watchmen before. I think so. Yeah, it sounds familiar. It's on the hundred best novels uh, that Time put out uh, a long time ago. Um, and it, and it truly is a novel. It takes a long time because there's a lot of storytelling that goes into it. There's snippets like at the end of each issue. Uh, one of the snippets is pages from the, the autobiography of one of the characters. And it basically posits a world where what would happen if superheroes were actually real? Okay, so let's pretend to put them in the real world. What would happen if they were real? And what would happen if the government used them to win the Vietnam War? Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's an interesting deconstruction. And then as a result of that, um, superheroes are are banned. I think they call masked masks. Masked people are, are banned. So mm-hmm. they're kind of operating in secret. So it deconstructs uh, the superhero genre. And it's set against the backdrop of like one of one of the superheroes that fought in the war. Um, terrible, terrible person. He's been murdered. Um, so they're trying to figure out who who did this murder. It's a it's a great, great novel. Don't expect it to be a quick read, though. Okay. And then the last one, which is a super fun one, uh, Why the Last Man by Brian K. Vaughn and Pia Guerrero and Jose Marzan Jr. This is on Kindle Unlimited, and it follows a guy named Yorick and his pet monkey. They are the last two men in existence all of the other men have been killed off by a plague um so it it shows like here's the kind of like female gangs that have popped up here's how the government is being run or not run because it's never really run um and and it's people trying to get to him so they can experiment on him you know kind of like sweet tooth which we've talked about before and him trying to track down what the origins of this this plague is um, critically renowned. It's been studied in, in college uh, comics and graphic novels courses, so definitely recommended. So those five, if you want to get into comics, go to those ones. Those 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 won't disappoint. Um, favorite standalones, and I'll keep this brief. Uh, Persepolis, story of a childhood, and this is by Mar oh, Jane Satrapi. Let me tell you, I have the book. Yeah. I want to read it. You should. I just keep getting distracted by yeah. other books. <laughs> You should, because it won't. I mean, it won't take you very long. It's uh-huh. it's it's longer in the terms of graphic novels, but it's autobiography, um, and I have not read it for a long time, so I can't give specific plot details. But you know, I don't want to go way over on time anyway. Um, but it's her memoir of growing up in Iran during the Islamic Revolution. The artwork is great. It's very simplified, black and white artwork. Story of her life in Tehran from the ages of six to fourteen. Years that saw the overthrow of the Shah's regime, the triumph of the Islamic Revolution, and the devastating effects of war with Iraq. Superb. You should definitely check it out. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a film, too, which we have, but I haven't actually watched. Uh, there's a film adaptation. It's in oh, French. I didn't know that. Yeah. And then El Defo by C.C. Bell, which is uh, it's a middle-level, elementary to middle-level book 
um, but everybody should read it. So it's it's again, it's an autobiography. Uh, Cece Bell is is deaf, and when she was a kid, she had to wear this hearing device. Like the teacher had to strap the um, part of the device around her neck, which was essentially a speaker, and she had this big blocky device on her so she could hear what's going on. Um, and also, everybody is drawn as a rabbit. Uh, which is which oh. is pretty cool. So it's it's very like childlike pictures, which works for for you know being a, a book about childhood. Mm-hmm. And she you know she feels like an outcast. She doesn't have friends, but then she imagines herself as a superhero because she realizes she can hear everything her teacher is doing because her teacher constantly forgets to mute <laughs> the microphone. Oh gosh! Including when she goes to the bathroom, she has the microphone on. So she, uh, that's how she kind of like rises above things as she imagines mm-hmm. herself of like, no, now I have super hearing. I can hear everything. I can even hear my teacher in the bathroom. It's very funny. It's a very that's funny cute. book. Yeah. Uh, Hyperbole and a Half is the next one. Unfortunate Situations, Flawed Coping Mechanisms, Mayhem, and Other Things by Ali Brosh. And these are, this is prose mixed with very, very crudely computer drawn pictures uh ali ali brosh wrote wrote a blog called hyperbole and a half and this is based off of that blog i don't know if you remember there was an old meme where it's a very crudely drawn a uh, woman with like a cone for a pigtail with a broom and it's like clean all the things do you remember that i don't think so but i remember like the art style that you're talking about yeah yeah it's great it's it's probably the only book that i've consistently laughed out loud from start to finish of the book it's so so funny um and it's also there's there's two sequences in it called depression parts one and two um i've never read a better depiction of what it's like to live with depression Mm -hmm. like this is really the like if you if you lack an understanding of that go to this book and read those two chapters it's truly it's truly amazing um, great coping mechanism to to read to read those two parts. Um, so, but balanced very very well with the with the funny, and even those ones are pretty funny as well. So check that out. And then March books one through three, which is John Lewis's um, graphic uh, autobiography. He wrote this with Andrew Aiden. Nate Powell did the did the artwork. Um, you know, and he passed away recently. It's it's excellent. Um, it starts at the inauguration of Obama. Aretha Franklin is singing, and then he thinks back, like, what did it take to get here? And it goes through um, the civil rights movement from a different different perspective than what a lot of people are probably familiar with, and follows a, a great tradition of, you know, there was a comic called Martin Luther King and the Struggle for Civil Rights, I think it was called, mm-hmm. which served as an inspiration to him while they were while they were um, coping with the sit-ins and, and protesting. It's superb. It's really, really superb. So check that out. Um, I'm almost at the end here, I promise. Okay. No, it's okay. <laughs> I'm, I am enjoying all the recommendations. I, I have a lot that I want to pick up. And I already have Persepolis, so maybe that will be my first one. You got to check it out. It's great. Um, the, art, the art style is wonderful. I wanted to include my favorite current running series on the market. So this is coming out as single issues, um, and the there's a first volume bound graphic novel. I've never wanted to. I had a friend in college who was broke all the time because he would spend his money on comic books, single issue comic books, 
And then once enough of them came out that they bound it into a trade paperback, he would also buy the trade paperback. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. So he never had any money. And I never had to buy comics in college because I just read what he had. So a lot of these yeah. things I've, I've read through him. But this is the first one I've ever read where I'm, I, I got through the single issues and thought, I need, I need to buy the volume. This is well worth the, another read. So the Department of Truth, um, it posits that there's, there's this old and I think kind of obscure uh, belief of some sects of Buddhism that your beliefs literally form your world. So if enough people believe one thing, it becomes a reality. Now that it's the internet age, and this department has existed for a long time in, in the world of the story, but now that it's the internet age and conspiracy theories are very easy to take off, um, the department is tasked with eliminating these conspiracy theories from occurring. Um, so the first one, it, it kicks off with this guy studied conspiracy theories for years. He's not recruited by the Department of Truth yet. Um, but he's been going to like flat earth conferences and, and he goes on one of their trips to see the end of the world, which he thinks is complete bullshit until he gets there and he starts to see that it looks like this is real. And then somebody shows up and, and kills everybody that's on that trip. Oh, wow. And it's an agent of the Department of Truth and she recruits him into the Department of Truth. And, and by killing those people, the conspiracy theory has been killed because essentially if they got photographic evidence of this because there's now enough flat earthers in the world that it's becoming a reality and they shared this like then we would have a flat earth like that dictates the reality it's phenomenal how did all the other people get all the other people get killed at the conference except for the character the main character he's and it's part of the plot so i won't go too into depth okay. to it but they've been tracking him We've been tracking oh, okay. him. And also he wasn't he didn't believe this theory, but he was like right on the verge of like, oh, I'm seeing something that's not like not the reality that I know. So they kind of knew that he wasn't like fully, fully invested mm -hmm. in it. It's great. And it hits it almost like every week hits a different conspiracy theory. Um, so content warnings, because like like school um uh school shootings is one of them from the standpoint of like those conspiracies of like this is staged these are crisis actors uh there's a fascinating mm -hmm. one on on that and and alex jones i don't think they refer to him by name but you see a picture of him uh the artwork is super disturbing it's kind of, it's one of those things where it's kind of hard to see what's actually happening a lot of it occurs in the shadows, but very, very well done. That's by James Tinian the Fourth, uh, who's a superb writer, uh, and Martin Simmons. Great name. Does the, yeah. Oh yeah, he's great. Uh, Martin Simmons does the artwork for that. So yeah, that's pretty much it. I had another list of five, but I feel like I should probably uh, probably stop it there. If you're looking for recommendations, um, those are the. Yeah, maybe ones. we can. Maybe if the listeners want to hear more of it, they can let us know. Just DM me on Twitter at Literary Mark, and then we can talk about the rest of them. Yeah, there you go. The remaining five, uh, which we'll put a peg in for now, are are my favorite series, um, series that I would return to again and again. Um, so yeah, we can talk about that at a later time if the listener desires. Tell, let us know on Discord. We have a Discord. Yes, yes. I'll link the Discord in the show notes. 
also, I wanted to mention that we now have a, a website just for the magazine, or the magazine, the, the podcast. Um, <laughs> it's litthesedayspodcast.com, and you can go and check out um, the past episodes. We'll have the books listed there that we've talked about on the, on the podcast before. If you want to go back and just double check uh, if you wanted to, to read any of them. Uh, we'll also have an easier way to get recommendations from us. So you can, there's just a form on the website. Um, so again, that's litthesedayspodcast.com. So go check that out. Please, please check that out. Yeah. We want, we want to know what you want us to recommend you. That's all we want. <laughs> <laughs> and it, be, it, be, it doesn't have to be serious. So like best, best book to read on a roof. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. What would we do for that? Hmm. I feel like something light fiction something yeah. light literally light yeah yeah don't take yeah. war and peace up on a roof no it'll throw no. off your sense of balance <laughs> yeah we don't want anyone falling off the roof <laughs> yeah. okay well that is all i had did you have anything else you wanted to touch on today i did not happy fourth even though it's not the fourth yes um yeah all right so we will be back next week with another episode see you everybody thank you for tuning into this edition of lit these days presented by the mark literary review music was provided by david mock we'll be back next week with another episode